Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Holy smokes. We got a show. (laughs) What's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? And what's up to you listening wherever you are at WWL.com or the Radio.com app. Yeah, no LSU baseball tonight for one of the rare times in the last couple of weeks, which means we are with you. For the last time this week, LSU, the the unbelievable win earlier today, which means they'll actually play at uh, 6.30 or so, probably a little later with the games, the way these games go, tomorrow, and we will not have a show, so I'll be watching the LSU Tigers play the loser of that um, the game, the Mississippi State and Vanderbilt game that's going on right now. We're also watching NBA playoffs tonight for you, and it's the Eastern Conference pivotal game number five. The series tied 2-2 between the Toronto Raptors and the Milwaukee Bucks, and mid-second quarter, Bucks have a 34-27 lead. Raptors winning two at home after going down 0-2 in that series. Milwaukee, big home favorites, seven and a half point home favorites here, and They're up by seven. Lots to talk about. And the only show we have this week, we got Saints OTAs, LSU baseball, NBA, uh, all NBA teams were announced. And one incredible snub. And I usually don't get into the snub game at all. I never comment on major snubs and major awards. I can't remember the last time I did a segment on it on any of the shows I've done. But today, we have one that absolutely deserves it. We'll get into that a little bit later. Lots of guests for you. Brian Lazar coming up at 832. Senior writer covering LSU baseball for TigerBait.com. we got Rod Walker, the advocate. Jake Madison to talk a little wild and crazy Pelicans scenarios, including why I think they have a chance to land John Morant and Zion Williamson. Not just Zion, but both Zion and John. I laid it out on the website earlier this week and also was on Sports Talk talking about it yesterday. And then we do get our weekly spot with Carter Bryant and uh, Coach Paul Maneri, a, a weary and withered and beleaguered Paul Maneri. He was on Sports Talk. It was a great interview, and I thought it was worth replaying for you a little bit later in the show. So that's what we've got for you today, and we'll have some sound from OTAs and lots of sound from this LSU baseball game. And we're going to talk OTAs here to start for a couple of minutes, but we we cannot bury the lead. What happened today with LSU somehow, some way coming back from a three-two deficit in the bottom of the ninth inning to beat Auburn and stave off elimination in the SEC baseball tournament? It was incredible. And let me set the stage for you here again. LSU down by a run, and they have a runner on. Um, on base, uh, two runners on base, second and third, and then there's a wild pitch. So for LSU, you've got the tying run on third, you got the winning run on second base, a 1-0 count with one out, and then this happens. Yeah, how about that indeed? That, that, that was the most improbable ending to a baseball game in, in recent memory. <laughs> Anyways, I, I don't want to say ever because there's been some crazy ones, but what happened today in Hoover was – was incredible. I mean, this is LSU magic in Hoover. 
We're going to get to this a little bit later in the hour. Brian Lazar will come on. Uh, let's get to a little LSU. Excuse me. Let's get to a little Saints to open the show because they have the first media availability out at OTAs today. And Bobby and Deuce and Christian were there earlier than I had the open locker rooms later this afternoon. And the, the talk of, of everybody when I got there, it, it was about one guy. It was about Jared Cook, the new Saints tied in to – I was a little bit skeptical, not of the Saints signing him. They were He was certainly an upgrade on anything the Saints had on their roster, and they've been searching for an answer at the position really since Jimmy Graham was traded away. Ben Watson was solid when he was here during his couple of cents, but he wasn't spectacular, and they haven't had a big playmaking tight end like Jared Cook on the roster. Uh, well, the what Jared Cook could possibly be anyways on this roster. Now, Cook last year had, at age 31 in Oakland, had probably his best season of his career. There was a, a little bit volume here, volume inflation, because he was targeted over 100 times by the Oakland quarterbacks, including uh, Derek Carr. But he had a career high in receptions, 68, career high in receiving yards, nearly 900, and also touchdowns with six. Now he's 32 and seems to still be in the prime of his career, even though he's approaching the age of, you know, in his mid-30s. If all this hype around Jared Cook is real, the Saints are going to be darn hard to stop again on offense. Remember late in the season what the problem was? Everybody was shading Michael Thomas. He was getting his, but nobody else was getting theirs on, theirs on the Saints offense. Allowed a little bit of stagnation of the Saints offense late in the season and into the playoffs. They're going to need Cooks, Cook to be big and productive really from the onset for this team. There's not a lot of depth at the position. Not good depth anyways at the position. I'm talking about pass-catching depth. they got some blockers and special teams guys, and Josh Hill's still there. But Cook was the talk of everybody out at camp today. Sean Payton mentioned him. Drew Brees mentioned him. And then, of course, Cook himself was allowed to was a, made available to the media. And he talked about how awesome it is to be here with Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. A couple of different times, he mentioned that the reason that he signed here in New Orleans, and I don't know if we have this sound or not, or working on it, but the, the reason that he signed in New Orleans was to have the chance to play across from Michael Thomas. And I'll just read you the quote here, as we don't have the sound. We were working on it, but he was asked, hey, there was the chance to play with Drew and Michael Thomas. Was that the reason you signed here? And he said, quote, yeah, absolutely. Having Mike and then Alvin Kamara was pretty much a one-two combo last year. I felt I could come in and help. But having Mike on the other side of the field is going to be an opening for us. We could relieve some of the pressure off of each other. Uh, the article's up at WWL.com. suggest you check it out. I've also got a video of Jared Cook talking. Uh, again, I've been a little critical of the signing, and not necessarily the signing again, but I've been critical of the expectations that some have of Jared Cook coming in here and, I don't know, catching 80 passes and 10 touchdowns and acting like Jimmy Graham was when he was running roughshod all over the place in a black and gold uniform. It's not going to be that. Cook has never been that, and in fact, Cook, every time he's got into a contract year, which is what he was last year in Oakland, he's produced some of his biggest numbers. There's a lot of guys like that. I understand the reason why. I'm not trying to be overly critical 
of that. But and remember, he got was targeted over 100 times last year in the Oakland offense. He's not going to get 100-plus targets in this offense here. So he's not going to put up the same kind of numbers as he did last year. What does that mean? Is he going to be some game-changing tight end? I, I still don't know. But the way everybody was talking out at Saints camp, you kind of felt like they believed it. And look, they would know more than I would. I'm just looking from the outside in. But one thing that I like to do every May, June, and July is temper expectations for football fans, whether that's Saints fans or LSU fans. Because we always blow everything out of proportion at OTAs and mini camp and then training camp and every little snippet we get from these practices and every soundbite we get from Coach Payton and and Drew Brees and, and all these players. And the same thing goes for LSU, really. I mean, we go back through the Matt Canada stuff last year and everybody acting like Joe Burrow was going to be the second coming of Russell Wilson or Cam Newton, which I thought was absurd. He was okay. He wasn't those guys. But I always like to temper expectations here. So there's two things, and I'm not saying that I'm going to be right on this. I'm not saying that at all. Like I said, those guys would know a lot more out there exactly what Jared Cook's doing in the little bit of time he's been here so far, catching passes, a few passes from Drew Brees than I would. But I just want to temper expectations. A lot of talk, a lot of stories coming out today on our website, on The Advocate, Times-Picayune, The Athletic, all the blogs that cover the Saints, a lot of them, a lot of these articles on Jared Cook and hyping him up a little bit. I just want to temper those expectations a little bit because, again, A, he's not going to get the targets that he had last year. B, he's always better when he's in contract years than he was last year. And C, he's just a year older. He's a 32-year-old tight end. I mean, we know Ben Watson played and, well, is playing now that he re-signed with the Patriots coming out of retirement. He's going to play into his late 30s. Maybe Cook is that kind of player. He's going to play another handful of years or so. But you would think he's approaching the end of his career. And, and frankly, I don't know how huge of an upgrade this is for the Saints at that position. But, look, I hope that they are right and my skepticism is unwarranted. That's certainly what I hope. We've got lots of coverage on Saints OTAs today at WWL.com. I mean, a lot of it. we got Bobby and Deuce's reaction. we got Sean Payton press conference story on jared cook it's all at wwl.com radio.com app just click the saints tab there we're going to open up the phone lines for the next segment uh, look and maybe i'm wrong you tell me why i'm wrong you hyped about jared cook also what are you looking for at saints otas what news are you most interested in coming out of camp 504-260-1870 that's 504-260-1870 our text line is 870-870 we'll talk a little lsu baseball also coming back here on the last lap Hey, somebody tweeted at me at Seth Dunlap. Hey, you seem a little less smooth than you usually are to open the show. Uh, you know what? No excuses at all. We don't use excuses in this industry. Um, it's been a heck of a day. I was up until about 4 a.m. writing LSU baseball stories last night. Not last night. I guess into this this morning because that game lasted an incredible six hours and 43 minutes. So I had to write that game story and then got, got up and went out to Saints OTAs, uh, open locker room anyway. I was writing a bunch of stories this afternoon. And, and here we are. Plus, there's the rust factor. It's only our second show in the last week because of LSU baseball. Boy, I thought we don't like watching LSU baseball. I just miss being with y'all here. A couple of texts on the text line at 870-870 from the 985. Cook never played with the likes of Drew Brees either, Seth. He tends to bring the best out of any pass catcher. No, he does. There's no doubt about that. I'm not diminishing the possibilities here, but what I am trying to do is just really temper the expectations. 
because again he was targeted a hundred plus times what was the exact number he's targeted 101 times last year in Oakland he's not going to be targeted 101 times this year just not so he's not going to have the raw numbers you would not think that he had last year receptions and yards but we'll see We'll see. He wasn't that efficient in those 101 targets. Remember, he had just 68 receptions in 101 targets. We'll see. Like I said, I think Jared Cook is going to be the best pass-catching tight end on this roster they've had since Jimmy Graham. And it's an upgrade over what Ben Watson gave him last year. To the phone lines we go. Roy and Algiers, what's going on tonight, Roy? Thank you for taking the call. Um, I got to say, I agree with you with – with Jerry Cook because he is older and the fact that I think the reason why people are excited about him is because he was the biggest tight end uh, name on the market. But what I find interesting from the quote that you that, that he said, he said there was a one-two punch with Mike Thomas and Kamara. And so I'm kind of confused as to why the Saints really didn't pick up an additional wide receiver in the draft or free agency. And it's painfully obvious, obvious that – and, and that's all we had. Yeah, Roy, no, that's a great question. And we all were surprised. I'm not going to act like I wasn't surprised that the Saints didn't add a wide receiver in free agency or earlier in the draft other than UDFA. I'm not going to sit here and retroactively act like I wasn't surprised because I was. But I know there's a reason why they did that inside that building. And in fact, I can get behind this thought process. They believe that Cameron Meredith is finally going to be healthy after that brutal injury a couple of years ago. They think that Traquan Smith coming into his second year is going to be better. They think Ted Ginn will be healthier than he was last year. And then you got guys like Keith Kirkwood who made strides at the end of last year, and Austin Carr, and then uh, little Jordan Humphrey, who they've talked about in UDFA. They really like him, and I know a lot of you do too. I actually really like this wide receiving core. I'm not saying it's going to be all-time great. It's not the greatest show on turf Rams with Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and those guys. I'm not trying to say that. But what I will say is I think it's as deep as any they've had here in recent memory. And I really like it. I think it's it's going to be the envy of a lot of NFL franchises, the, the depth at that spot. And they have, in my mind, one of the two or three best wide receivers in the game in Michael Thomas. So you can't go wrong there. But it's a good point, Roy. Really good point. Thanks for the call. Dave and Algiers, you want to talk a little LSU baseball. What's up? Yeah, uh, the Magic would have been really talked about if we would have won that game last night against the State. But uh, – Man, what a great ending to the to the game today! Hey, look, here's my question, uh, uh, and it's got to do with uh, SEC uh, baseball and basketball uh, tournament-wise. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, why is there double elimination in the SEC baseball tournament and not in basketball? To explain the difference in that. Well, there, there's just. I, I, look, I think it's tradition. I don't really have an answer for you there other than the sports are different and tradition in basketball in the conference tournaments across the entire country is it that it's one and done. So I'd say tradition. I don't have an answer other than that. I actually probably prefer the SEC baseball tournament just go to single elimination. I mean, most of these teams aren't really changing their regional placement in that SEC baseball tournament. 
and you can make an argument that they're actually burning so many arms that it's going to hurt them in a regional when they're playing teams that aren't from the SEC. I mean, you could make that argument. So I don't really have a great answer for you there, Bill, but it's something that I've thought about too. I, I just I like the single elimination of it. Although baseball, when you get to the regional and super regional, here's the, the counter argument to that, is that it's double elimination in this regional and super regional and in the College World Series. So they're trying to prepare you for those tournaments. And, of course, in college basketball, the NCAA tournament is a single elimination affair. But, like I said, if I had my will, I'd snap my fingers and make it single elimination. But that, that's, that's not going to happen. More of your calls, plus Rod Walker of The Advocate to talk a little Saints. Uh, actually, it's Brian Lazar. Pardon me. Brian Lazar coming up to talk a little LSU baseball for TigerBait.com. LSU beating Auburn today in that walk-off. It's WWL. Welcome back to the show. We are watching the Eastern Conference Finals Game 5, Raptors and Bucks. That series tied at two games apiece. And right now, Toronto closing the gap. They were down by seven a little bit ago. One second left in the second quarter. Milwaukee, a three-point lead, 49-46. to 46. And we'll see what happens here, and there will not be a shot um, in that final uh, minute or so. So they'll go to the locker room. Uh, home teams winning all five games in this series so far. And so regardless, it's going to go back to Toronto after this. But I'm, look, I don't really have a rooting interest in this series, but I really want to see Giannis in the finals against uh, Golden State. Because I think the Bucks have that core that they're going to be the team to beat in the East for the foreseeable future. And they're just going to build around him. I want to see him on that big stage because still a lot of the, the casual NBA fans that don't tune in until the NBA finals, they, they might have never seen, if you can believe this or not, they might have never seen Giannis play. A lot of America hasn't, and they finally would. So that's kind of what I'm rooting for here. Let's bring in Brian Lazar of TigerBaits.com as LSU, the improbable win earlier today, just continuing their Hoover magic, although they could have used it at about 3 a.m. this morning. Uh, Brian, how tired are you, my man? Uh, pretty tired. <laughs> pretty tired. <laughs> we all uh, are, dude. We all are. Um, well, what do you think of this ending today? I mean, you had the, the wild pitch and the throwing air, two runs score, and LSU walks it off. Well, really, that's a play that uh, it can't happen. I mean, I've seen that play happen on numerous occasions where you have a, you know, runners on second and third, and there's a a wild pitch, and it gets away from the catcher. Now, what was different there is the catcher blocked the ball at first, and then sort of knocked it away. And that's what was that was different. But I've seen that before, where uh, you know, wild pitch ball gets away, and then the the catcher tries to, or whoever in this case the catcher didn't retrieve the ball, pitcher didn't, and he tr tries to throw the ball back to the plate. And when he does, he throws the ball away, and the second runner scores, just like what happened today for LSU. You know, that's really when you look at it. LSU probably should have won last night's game and and lost today's game. So. They're uh, not in the same boat. They'd have been in a better situation if they had won last night, and because uh, because if they had won last night, then they wouldn't have, uh, you know, they would have been in the winners bracket final today. But uh, look, I, I I said before the tournament started, I thought LSU to assure itself of a regional host spot. Uh, I felt that LSU had to get to the semifinals on Saturday, and. Uh, now they're in the position where, uh, you know, they play tomorrow night. 
the loser of tonight's Mississippi State Vanderbilt game. And, you know, if they win that game tomorrow night, I, I definitely think LSU will be a host. If they lose it tomorrow night, uh, they're going to be on that regional host bubble through the uh, through the weekend. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So you think it's kind of imperative that they win this game tomorrow evening? It's going to be about six thirty or seven o'clock when first pitch happens over in Hoover. And it seemed like Bobby Aber when I was chatting with him briefly before my show, Brian, he thought that that yeah, maybe the same thing because UCSB over there um, has the eyes of the committee most likely. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of teams. You know, there's three or four teams, maybe five, fighting for those last three spots to, to be a host. Uh, you know, what's hurting LSU, uh, you know, is that its overall record just isn't as good as some of these other teams. You know, the LSU's got – they won today, so that's their 36th win of the year. If they would have just two more wins right now, I, I'm going to say if they were at 38 uh, – you know, I think they'd be okay. I think they'd solidly be in. So if you want to say that a couple of those midweek losses hurt, yes. What I really think is going to hurt LSU more and when the when the committee discusses them is that getting swept uh, three games at Texas, uh, a Texas team which ended up finishing last in the Big 12. So I think that those three losses – uh, may be more of a negative for LSU on on its resume than, say, losing to a Southern or a McNeese or a Northwestern State uh, during the midweek. Brian Lazar, TigerBait.com, is with us. Boy, how good was Landon Marceau today? The freshman had it going, six and two-thirds, no earned runs, to give up the two after the air, five strikeouts. He's been really good at times this year and has a bright future for this program. Yeah, he's, you know, he, he threw okay. At the start of the year, then he had the rough outing on the road against Texas, and then he was removed from the rotation, and then he got the injury and didn't throw for over a month. And uh, it's been a slow process coming back, but he threw well uh, last weekend in his start against Auburn, and he was even, I think, better today against Auburn. So, uh, yeah, you know, Marceau is somebody that uh, certainly – can be in that weekend rotation for LSU for the next couple of years. Coming into the year, Brian, was there any possibility that you thought Josh Smith would be the best hitter on this team? Because he has been. Two more hits today, had a run and an RBI. The dude's just been absolutely fantastic, especially since he's been reinserted at the top of that lineup. I said the one thing I thought about Josh Smith coming into this year, you know, I I thought he'd be a good hitter. I and I did think he was going to hit hit the long ball. I thought he hit about 10, 10 home runs. I thought he hit the double figure. So I think he's at uh, seven right now. I think that's what he is for the year. So I thought he'd have some power. Uh, I think he's played well defensively, though he's had a couple of rough the last, I'm going to say, week or so he's made some errors. You know, certainly that throwing error today really hurt LSU. But, uh, you know, I – Look, if you'd asked me who would have been LSU's leading hitter this year, I would have said Antoine DePlantis. And then if you'd asked me, okay, who's next, I would have said Josh Smith as, as at least the second-best hitter on this team. He's done a great job setting the table. Eight home runs uh, for Josh Smith up top. Uh, who do they have left in the tank in, uh, in that rotation and in the bullpen because they've just burnt up so many guys the last couple of nights? And Well, really, I guess this is just today because they had these two games today if you count the one that went uh, past midnight last night. 
Yeah, they're going to have to. Uh, I'm sure it, you know it's going to be the major league route now where they're going to start the uh, start use an opener. But the only problem is I don't know who LSU would have available uh, because all of these guys have thrown a lot of innings. You know, let's go back uh, the first day against South Carolina, Devin Fontenot through uh i think three plus innings uh and then yesterday you get four innings by beck and four innings by uh hess and then five innings by hilliard and then peterson now uh he threw a couple innings the first day didn't throw at all the second day threw a couple innings today so those are so all your bullpen guys you know, have pitched, uh, you know, uh, substantial amounts. So I don't know how Paul Monero is going to go. Maybe he'll take somebody like Chase Costello and start him. Uh, I think it's just going to be a matter of asking the pitchers, okay, uh, who's able to, uh, who feels like uh, they can give them some innings tomorrow night. I don't think they're going to necessarily want anybody to throw, uh, you know, more than two. And I think that's what he, what Paul's probably hoping. He's probably hoping he's got five pitchers and say, I can give you a couple innings. And I, I really think, uh, you know, I think Fontenot will be okay for two innings tomorrow. Uh, but I don't know about Peterson. I, I'm going to say Peterson may give him, be able to give him an inning or two. Uh, now, Beck and Hilliard, and Hess, I'm not sure about. But here's the Seth. Here's the thing: the pitching matchup's not going to be good tomorrow, no matter which team they play, because both Mississippi State and Vanderbilt did not use uh, either its number one or number two pitchers until today. Now both Mississippi State and Vandy are using uh, their number one pitchers tonight, but that means both of them will have their number two pitchers ready to go tomorrow. So. You're going to have LSU using bullpen guys against, uh, if they play either team, Mississippi State or Vanderbilt, both of them will have their number two starter who hasn't thrown an inning yet in the tournament. Yeah, so this brings up a point, Brian, that I was going to ask you about. Do you think the way the SEC tournament is structured that you're having legitimately teams that are going to be top 16 seeds in regional hosts in the NCAA tournament. Some of them might have to play six games in six days heading into that regional only what, four days later. Do you think the SEC needs to look at restructuring this? Because all these teams, if they want to have NCAA tournament success and regional success and more of it, maybe the, these teams need to save some of their arms. Cause I don't know how it does these teams uh, any favors with that kind of schedule. Well, they, first of all, they, added the teams to the tournament because it would hurt them. Let's go back to 2011 when LSU uh, had a had a good RPI, an RPI in the mid-20s, went 13-17, and 17, but didn't make the SEC tournament at that time when it only had 10 teams, and that was used as the reason why they didn't get an NCAA bid because they said, well, you didn't even make your conference tournament. So the SEC said, well, let's expand our tournament to 12, and that will take care of that. So that's why they, they did that. And, and look – Let's look at the teams, uh, you know, the four teams in this tournament that really aren't playing for anything. Vanderbilt, Georgia, Arkansas, Mississippi State, all four of those, you know, certainly 
are in pretty good shapes to be in shape to be a, a national seed. Well, none of them are, are overtaxing their pitching. Uh, Mississippi State uh, is using played a game last night where it was like a, they didn't use any one of the state didn't use any of its top three starters last night. So that means if they would play tonight and Friday and Saturday, well, that then you just have their one, your one, two, and three starters going like they normally would, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So those teams, what they're doing, they're using their four starter or bullpen guys in the first game, in their first game they play. Vanderbilt did that. Uh, you know, Mississippi State did that. Arkansas uh, did that, and, and Georgia. None of the, none of them use their number one pitchers until uh, today. Georgia didn't even use his number one pitcher today. So, uh, I guess Arkansas was the only one. Uh, Arkansas used its number one guy yesterday against Ole Miss, so they were the only ones that did that. So, I don't think any of these teams are, are taxing their pitching staffs. Uh, you know, and now the other teams, you know, like LSU. Well, look, this LSU would much rather be playing in, in Baton Rouge next week than say going out to UCLA. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they're going to do what they have to do to to win games. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, finally, Brian, uh, one basketball question here. They uh, LSU basketball gets Trendon Watford, five-star guy, and he does bump the, the class ranking up from the, the 90s nationally into the 30s, but it's not the banner class here for Will Wade. But, but what do you know about Watford, and um, are you concerned at all about who this team has coming back and who they have coming in? Well, uh, Watford, you know, 6'9", post player. Uh, I, I know that I think that the, the people close to the program are thinking that Watford can step in and give them the same numbers that Naz Reed gave them last year. You know, 13, 14 points, six, seven rebounds a game, if not more than that. So I think that they believe that the presence of Watford, he's going to just slide into Naz Reed's spot. Now, we're waiting. You know, Javante Smart said he's coming back. So now you know of, okay, we got two definite starters. Smart is a starter. He's coming back. Uh, Watford is signed. He will start. So now you have two starters. Now you're waiting for the other three players who put their names in the draft, Skylar Mays, uh, Emmett Williams, and Marlon Taylor. If those three guys all come back, you know, those are your other three starters. I, you know, I think that sure. that's going to be, that's going to be your starting five. And, and, where LSU is going to be, you know, the difference of the LSU for this team from this year to last year uh, is they're not going to have the big post presence defensively, which they have with Cavell Bigby Williams. You know, they don't have that guy yet. That, you know, if you want to look at a uh, Cortese Cooper, 6'9", J.C. transfer last year who was redshirted. I mean, he's right now the only guy they have that you could say, okay, he could sort of go in there and play the center position. But I, I think right now uh, you're talking about LSU going small and having Watford and Emmett Williams if he returns as your two starting post players. That's great information here. Brian Lazar, senior writer covering LSU baseball and much more for TigerBait.com. Be sure you follow him on Twitter at BLDoor. Brian, always appreciate the chats, man. Enjoy the rest of these games in Hoover. Thanks so much. 
Okay, thank you. See you later, Seth. You bet. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about the All-NBA teams that were released earlier today. And in my mind, one of the biggest snubs for any of these postseason awards in any sport, frankly, that I can ever remember, and we'll hear from that guy when we come back here on The Last Lap. Second half underway up in Milwaukee. Bucks a three-point lead. On the Raptors, well, actually make that a seven-point lead. I looked down, looked back up, and now it's a nine-point lead. I literally looked down for like 15 seconds, it felt like, and it was a three-point lead. Now it's 60-51, to 51, Bucks with the lead. Earlier today, the all-NBA teams were announced. He had two unanimous first-teamers. No real surprise there. James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo out of Milwaukee, of course, the two leading MVP candidates, their first-teamers. The other two, three first-teamers, Steph Curry, Paul George, and Nikola Jokic. Second-team guys, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, and Kyrie Irving, all deserving, although I, I don't know how you don't have Kevin Durant as a, a, a first-teamer. He's probably the best player in the world right now. If he's not, then it's Giannis or Harden. Not having him on the first team is just absurd. I mean, it really is. It's absurd. Uh, third team guys, Westbrook, Griffin, LeBron James, Rudy Gobert, and Kemba Walker. Look, LeBron James should be nowhere near this team this year considering the time he missed and how much of a dumpster fire the Los Angeles Lakers were. And Drew Holiday did get one vote. He got one vote, wasn't on this team, and, of course, no Anthony Davis. There is one big snub here, but we didn't have time. I'm going to talk about it and play some audio next hour for you. But we got to take a break. We're back next hour talking LSU baseball, Saints OTAs, and NBA on the last lap. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.